Hey guys, what's up? My name's Cecilia. And I'm Brooke. And welcome back to another episode of Women of the Way. We're going to be talking about kindness today, and I'm really excited to dive deeper into this one. Yes, me too, Cecilia. And I just had a big blank on which number this is in our Fruits of the Spirit series. Um, oh my goodness, we've done so many. It's like five, maybe? I think it's... I'm looking at it right now. I think it's the fifth one. Wait, one. Okay. Joy, second. And then pieces. Yeah, this is five. Patience, fourth. Yes, this is the fifth fruit of the spirit. It's kindness. Okay. Lucky guess. <laughs> uh, that was God's providence, actually. So. <laughs> okay, but yeah, so I'm excited. Cecilia's back. She made it through all of her finals. So, oh my goodness, I had a like huge project and then an exam both due Monday morning at 8 a.m. So Ooh. I was like so busy all weekend, but we made it through. That's too much work. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah, let's just get into it, Cece. So she hates when I call it that. Please don't call me that. I don't ever call it. Don't ever call it. <laughs> She doesn't know who Season Lyons is either, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, cringy middle school nickname. Yeah, but y'all should look up Cece Lyons. She's a great gospel singer. Um, but moving past that, so I wanted to bring up a point from last episode. If y'all listened to the whole thing, I brought up how Jonah um, is a prophet, but I didn't really explain the difference between prophets and priests very well um so this is an actual good definition of the difference between prophets and priests prophets represent god before people and then the priests represent the people before god so i think i kind of confused that last week and i wanted to clarify that um because yeah i want to be sharp in my theology. So with kindness, we're going to kind of go through the same format as last week and hit on the kindness of God and the kindness of Christ, and then why, as Christians, we should be kind. So kind of the same format, kind of going to go Old Testament, New Testament, and then hit on like practical, like sanctification, how do we be holy, and how does kindness fit into that? And yeah, so Cecilia is going to hit on stuff in the New Testament and how um, we should be kind and how Christ is kind. So that'll be awesome. And I'm going to hit on some of the Old Testament stuff. And yeah, that's what we're going to do for this episode. I think it's going to be too long, but going to go through what the... Wind- we'll see. We'll go where the spirit leads us. Right. And, you know, if it's long, it's long. I like long podcasts. So you can start it, listen to half of it one day, listen to half of it the next day. It's like you're just coming back to an old friend. It's amazing. <laughs> that was really poetically put. <laughs> That's what I think. That's what my mom actually says about reading books. She always goes back to old books she's read before because it's coming back to an old friend. So. That's really cute. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a uh, Jane Austen quote. It kind of does. Well, I like Jane Austen. I've never actually read any of her books, so I need to. That's on the list for this summer. But, <laughs> okay, I'm a big reader. But I will, so, the intro, I'm a big reader, and I'm going to reread The Fruits of the Spirit for you guys. Because um, that's why I said, you're coming back to an old friend, and you need to be reminded every day of what the Word of God says. So, this is Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we've talked about love and joy and peace and patience. And now we're going to get into kindness. And I'm excited, like always, to talk about the word of God and to hit on all these different fruits of the spirit because they're all things that as Christians I think we're working towards and through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's sanctifying us to be more like Christ and that's 
going to produce these character traits in our lives. And I like to go back and look in scripture and see how, I mean, basically we're kind of going, actually we, we're kind of going with the Trinity in this episode because we're looking at the kindness of God, kindness of Christ, and then how we should be kind through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So it's kind of cool. But we're just going throughout scripture and seeing these traits and these fruits of the spirit and seeing God's kindness. So I'm, yeah, pumped. But my main point or our main point for this episode is that God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so we've talked a little little bit about repentance before, um, but basically it's a change of mind, a change of heart. When you become a Christian, you're repenting of your old self, your old ways and putting on the new self in Christ. And so Romans 2, 4 is kind of the uh, hinge point. Is that a word? Hinge point? I don't know. The, the, like the glue holding this episode together. So Romans 2, 4 says, or do you presume? So Paul's talking to, um, I guess, more like religious people that kind of think that their works are going to save them through what they do. And he's saying, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So that's what we're going to look at, how God's kindness in the Old Testament led people to repentance and to him. His kindness does not lead us to um, just presuming on his grace and kind of saying, oh, well, God's kind to me. He'll forgive me. I'll just keep on living my old life, living in my sin. It's not what God's kindness leads us to do. Um, And I thought this was really interesting. So the Greek word for kindness in this verse is kestos. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. But it also means serviceable and good. And so spiritually speaking, God's kindness is always good and profitable to us. So even if um, it's leading us to repentance, it might be. God's kindness might be seen as his discipline sometimes. It's always going to be good and profitable for us in the long run. Um, so yeah, it's going to move on to the Old Testament um, and view God's kindness in that. So at one point before really getting into a few examples in the Old Testament, but basically I think sometimes we view And we're going to talk about this in later episodes too, but we kind of view God in the Old Testament as kind of this vengeful, wrathful God. He's um, kind of this warrior, only always angry all the time, which that is part of his character. But which, and it's justifiable because of our depravity and our sin. But we also forget that God is his complete and his utter kindness towards us. And when we view it as when we're, we, continually rebel against his will and we compare that to how kind he is towards us it's pretty amazing and you see that a heck of a lot in the old testament and so before getting into like specific examples of god's kindness i wanted to share with y'all something my pastor preached on last week so we're going through the book of genesis and he we were in the end of genesis like chapter 42 through 50 which is a story of joseph which is amazing. Y'all should go read through that story. It's like this beautiful narrative um, and really applicable to our time as Joseph is suffering unjustly um, through no means of his own, but yet God uses that. So great stuff. But my pastor hit on how um, Joseph's, so Joseph is, he's went through a lot of suffering. He's sold into slavery um, by his brothers and He's also in prison unjustly through a false accusation. Um, like, so God keeps raising him high and then raising him low, not raising him low, putting him um, low again, or you know what I'm trying to say, putting him low. Um, and then now he's raised very high to the second in command in Egypt. And his brothers who previously sold him into slavery are coming back to him because they need food because the land is in a famine. And then what Joseph does with them is kind of interesting. I'm not going to get into all the details, but basically he just kind of keeps testing them. Um, And if you read it, you could read it as Joseph's just trying to get vengeance on his brothers, but he's actually not. He's testing them to see 
if they've actually changed. So he's, in a sense, my pastor used the term, he's using like severe kindness against, like not against them, towards them to see if they actually have changed and if they've actually um, repented or not. So Joseph is doing this to break his brother's hearts and bring them to repentance, um, which actually happens. There's a beautiful scene um, in, I think, is it Genesis 45? Um, it's a very country-like, but in where one of Joseph's brothers, who actually it was his idea to sell Joseph into slavery, he ends up um, saying, okay, because Joseph is testing him in this moment, and he ends up saying, hey, just take my brother instead that you want, or sorry, I just completely messed that up. So this is Joseph's brother Judah. Um, and what he's saying is he's basically telling Joseph, hey, take me instead of my brother. So it's this complete reversal where Judah is now willing to substitute himself for his brother instead of when he previously was willing to just sell Joseph into slavery. And that's the point where Joseph knows that these his brothers have actually changed and he can trust them. And that's why he used this severe kindness and this bringing them very low and then raising them up again to break their hearts and to bring them to repentance. Um, just wanted to bring that in, is that kindness sometimes is going to look. And especially when you view it as um, God being kind towards us, sometimes it is going to look like he's bringing us very low and he's bringing us back up again because that's how he's being kind toward us, towards us. As a father is with his son, your parents discipline you because they're kind and they love you. They're not just going to let you do whatever you want. They're going to discipline you. So I think sometimes God's kindness towards us can be severe kindness. And it's going to look like discipline in some moments because that's what it's going to take for us to be kind of brought low and brought to the end of ourselves. And we realize, wow, I my sin has brought me here and I need forgiveness and that's sometimes what it takes to break our hearts over our sin over our rebellion so I mean the same thing happened with the uh prodigal son in Luke 15 mm -hmm. like you know he had this desire to just go and spend all of his money uh his father's money mm -hmm. and then it took him getting to the place of feeding pigs and starving and wanting what the pigs were eating before he realized his depravity and what he had done wrong. Right. Like sometimes it takes getting to rock bottom to realize like our state. Mm. I think even though that's really harsh, you know, some of, some of us humans, we can be pretty stubborn and it takes a lot to get through to us, but God goes the extra mile to save us from ourselves. Mm. Yeah, I think that, sh that story also shows God's kindness too, because he could have, like when the son eventually does come back, um, the father who represents God in that story has his arms wide open and is waiting for him. He also runs towards yeah. him, which in that culture, like there probably would have been an audible gasp from who he was telling the story to, mm -hmm. because like older men, especially like, you know, the masters of the household, you didn't run. Like that was beneath you to run. So the fact that the father not only welcomes back the son and embraces him and still loves him, the fact that he ran towards him. Like, I guess it's in the same way how God pursues us. Like, I don't know, like God is like the God of the universe. He shouldn't have to you know, lower himself to us uh, in the same way the father didn't have to lower himself to the state of running, but like he does it anyway. And that just shows the absolute love and kindness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He doesn't have to lower himself. I mean, he's transcendent. He's self-existent. He doesn't, God doesn't need anything from us yet. 2000 years ago, he lowered himself in the form of a man and lived among us in a broken body and died for us in Christ. And that's amazing. That's 
yeah that's a that yeah that's what i got for that christ we kind of jumped ahead to the new testament let's finish up the old testament we always come back to it because it is good news and it's the best news ever but it's yeah it's very easy to jump ahead to the gospel but my next point actually cecilia is kind of hitting on the gospel as well um I mean, the whole Bible touches on the gospel, whether it's foreshadowing or looking back. Yes. A little two-second interval break, whatever. The whole gospel, sorry, the whole Bible points to the gospel. Every section of scripture, even throughout the Old Testament, even through the genealogies in the Old Testament, point to a coming Messiah, to a coming Savior. All the way from Genesis, God curses the land and says that he's, going to bring enmity, enmity, strife. We're both words, strife. Strife between the offspring <laughs> of Eve um, and the enemy and through and Satan. There's going to be strife, and that's Christ. It's amazing. So I'm just saying the whole Bible points to the gospel, points to redemption, points to Christ. So, yeah, it's amazing. And... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just keep saying yeah a lot. But okay. (laughs) My next point after seeing God's severe kindness, which is demonstrated through Joseph and his brothers in the end of the book of Genesis, um, I wanted to hit on we can experience God's kindness through others. Um, And I'm not going to read this whole book in the Old Testament. But I love the book of Ruth. It's incredible. It's only four chapters. And you, I mean, there's a lot you could hit on. Um, But basically the two kind of main characters, or two of the main characters, I guess I should say, um, in the book of Ruth are Boaz and Ruth. And if you know anything about Ruth, she is a Moabite, so she's not even an Israelite. She's from a pagan nation. Um, And then her mother-in-law, she ends up going with back with her mother-in-law to Israel because Ruth's husband dies, and so does her um, sister-in-law's husband dies as well. But she, her sister-in-law stays. So Ruth goes with her mother-in-law Naomi back to Israel, and she has um, no job, really no security, no husband, nothing. And as she goes to work for this man Boaz, who kind of he has his field kind of like a farmer um in today's modern world and boaz and he's i mean she's kind of working with rough people right i mean she's working in this farm just kind of gleaning stuff from the field maybe not the best people but you can see god's kindness through boaz and how he protects her he doesn't he makes sure his men don't do anything to to ruth make sure ruth kind of works in safety and works with the woman um and also protects her in the fact that he and the end of the book marries her and redeems um, her family's land and also redeems her mother-in-law in a sense too, in that now um, kind of what was taken from her in the past is now being restored. And Boaz didn't have to do that. He could have just taken advantage or just said, oh, she's just another woman worker, who cares? But it's not what he does. He keeps an eye out for her. He protects her. And he ultimately marries her, and he's her, um, not going to get too much into it, but he is what's called a kinsman redeemer, um, which basically means back in the Old Testament, Israelite time, is Israelite time? <laughs> in the Old Testament, um, if like a family lost their land, if there's a widow, then someone else from the family can marry that person or and, and, oop, and help the family just kind of get back to um, what they used to have. And so his kindness, Boaz's kindness in the book of Ruth also points to Christ and that Christ is our redeemer um, from sin and from death. And he redeems what was broken in us from the fall of humanity. So really, yeah, I'm going to hit on that, like how, and we'll hit on that later in the podcast too, how we experience kindness through others and ultimately, that's, you know, if they're following Christ and that's his kindness through them, 
I think you can see Valmon how Boaz protects Ruth and is there for her through everything. Um, and then I also am going to hit on Jonah as well. Again, because you can also see a lot of not just God's patience, but also God's kindness in the book of Jonah. Um, so we last week kind of talked about how God's kind towards Sorry, God is patient towards Jonah, but he's also very kind towards the Ninevites because, again, they were kind of the worst of the worst, like the most sinful of the most sinful. I don't know if that's a very great phrase, but they were evil people, right? But God is so kind, kind towards them and... The people, I mean, they hear one one sentence, one phrase from Jonah, and they repent. And it just shows how kind God is towards humble, repentant sinners. And even to those who aren't, i.e. Jonah, who wasn't uh, the most kind. He really didn't care about the people of Nineveh. He just wanted his nice little, a little, nice little shade for him. He didn't care about the thousands that were ignorant, as the end of Jonah chapter 4 says. Um, but I think it's very interesting to the Hebrew word used there is the word kased, which means goodness and kindness. And this is the context of that verse. Um, Jonah's basically saying, well, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you are going to save these people because of your kindness and your love. And it's just, it's kind of interesting because Jonah's angry and he's praying to the Lord. And then verse two, Jonah says, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so he's basically saying, God, I knew your character. I knew you were going to save these people because you're so kind and you show loving kindness and goodness towards people that don't deserve it and yeah well Jonah's anger and his attitude is not right there so he should be rejoicing that God saved these people um that just shows how that just shows God's character shows how kind he is in his loving kindness his cassette um towards people that don't deserve it he was willing to also be very kind to Jonah in sending this kind of wayward prophet in in a sense out um to this land but also towards these people that he saved and i think that's really incredible seeing the character of god in that way that he's this missionary god that wants to save everybody i mean the old testament he used the people of israel to kind of bring his light to the nations and his light to the world um but even then, he was willing to send Jonah, reluctant prophet, re- prophet, reluctant missionary, in a sense, out to um, Assyria, out to Nineveh, and show his loving kindness towards people. And yeah, I think that's pretty amazing. And then also, my last kind of two points um, that I wanted to hit on, I guess I kind of already hit on this next one a little bit. But also that God's kindness might not always seem like human kindness to us. Um, And that's kind of what I was hitting on earlier with Joseph, that he brings people low and then raises them back up again to humble us. And that's also him showing his kindness towards us. And I wanted to bring up a really interesting passage in the book of Daniel, um, where the king in Daniel, you've, might have heard him before, but King Nebuchadnezzar. And he is this very prideful king. He thinks he's amazing. He goes out in chapter four of Daniel and he's standing on the roof of his royal palace. And this is what he says. He says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built up by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Um, so he's 
again, very privately, is like, this is all mine. I built this up by my mighty power. He's not willing to attribute anything to God or say, this is God's work. He's the one who actually did this. He thinks it's all him. And then the next verse, verse 31 says, that while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And then continuing on, um, it says, And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so that happened. And scholars debate, like, how this happened, whatnot. I'm just going to go straight from what the text says as the Bible being the inspired word of God and believe that that really happened. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, was kind of this ugly beast for many years. And that was God's kindness towards him because that was the only thing that was going to reach Nebuchadnezzar was being driven to eat like a beast among the field and have hair as long as eagles feathers and nails like bird claws that was god's kindness towards him and then at the end after nebuchadnezzar goes through this this is what he says at the end of the days and this is still chapter four this is verse 34 at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and i blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And then he goes on to say that his reason has returned to him, and now he's being established in his kingdom. And then the last verse says that now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So Nebuchadnezzar had to go through that, go through, again, his beastly um, wanderings in the fields to now come to recognize God as a supreme high ruler who has an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is never going to end and to come to this realization that all the inhabitants of the earth are honestly nothing. And God does according to his will because he is sovereign and no one can stay. No one can say to him, what have you done, God? Kind of like Jonah's little critique of God's character, which no, no, you can't really say that to him because he is God. He is glorious. He is majestic. And now Nebuchadnezzar has learned the lesson that those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And that was God's kindness towards a prideful king who thought everything was all due to his power and his kingdom was just because he built it. He also, earlier in the book of Daniel, wants people to worship a statue of him. So, again, he's a very prideful king. But I think that's another instance of God's kindness in the Old Testament towards different people. His kindness might look different depending on who um, the person is. The person's kind of puffed up with themselves, thinks that they're better than everyone else. All their success is due to them. God's kindness is going to look different than the ignorant Ninevites who didn't know any better. Um, and also it gets into a little bit what we're going to talk about. Cecilia's going to talk about in the New Testament with Christ's kindness and what his kindness looks like toward rebellious, wayward, sinful people. Um, and so, yeah. So that's kind of what I got for the Old Testament for God's kindness. Um, there's a lot I could talk about, but I guess to sum it all up, God is kind. He is so kind towards us. He is kind towards Jonah, Ninevites, Nebuchadnezzar. Hundreds of more people in the Old Testament. And his kindness continues forever. His loving kindness, his kased love towards us never ends, never fails. His God's kingdom is never going to end. Um, and that's beautiful. And that goes directly into the New Testament 
where Cecilia is going to talk about how Christ is kind. Um, I have a little intro. We're also going to get into this in a later episode, too. Um, but I don't want to make it seem that, like, I mean, we're going to get into this later. But basically, sometimes we can, we think that God's different in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and that's not true. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, but yeah, so Christ is always kind. He's always peaceful, but, and so is God. And, and Christ is God. Yeah, get that, get theology fully, man, fully God. But we forget that sometimes I think we can forget that just as I said earlier, that God is um, justifiably wrathful, um, angry at people's sin, that Christ also um, is coming back to judge sin, unrighteousness. And you can read Revelation 19, where it describes this rider coming in in the sky on a white horse. So he's, refer he's referring to Jesus. Um, and he's going to be treading the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty with eyes like a flame of fire. So that is an aspect of the character of Jesus Christ. He didn't, when he first came into the world, he didn't come to judge the world. He came to save us from sin. But the next time he comes, it is going to be to judge us. But if we're in Christ, we don't have to worry about that. And we'll get into his kindness too. Um, and so personally for me, that's a part of the character of God, of Jesus Christ, that I can kind of identify with because um, this is what I wrote. But as a Calvinist, and I'll get, well, we can get into that theology in later episodes, but it's easy for me to see how sinful I am, and but also forget how kind Jesus is, how absolutely kind he is, and how loving he is towards people. So, yeah. That's what I got. That, were, that reminds me of a discussion um, Brooke, you and I had. I think it was around Christmas time. It was a very long discussion. It became very circular, but we were trying to understand each other's perspectives of God. Um, and it was interesting to find that, you know, we did kind of have different default perspectives of who God is to us. Because God has so many different characteristics. Um and he is this kind and patient God, but he's also um, a judging God and a God who is absolutely mm -hmm. holy. Um, and it was very interesting to find that we had different default perspectives where you default to seeing God as the holy judge. I tend to default to the kind and comforting father even though we both recognize that there are different characteristics, if we had to name the first one that came to mind, we would have different ones, which was very interesting to find out that, you know, I mean, you can tell a lot about someone's faith and their journey by like, when you're asked, like, mm -hmm. who is God? What's the first thing they come out of th that comes out yeah. of their mouth? Cause I don't know. It's just so cool how God has so many different, characteristics and parts of himself that each of us with our individual faiths and backgrounds and personalities you know this god is the same god for every other person but like fits so perfectly for each person i feel like i'm not saying that right no i get what you're saying like god god is the same he doesn't change but i think in different aspects um in like in our Christian journey that we kind of see his characteristics as attributes in different ways. And like we, um, yeah. I mean, that, like you see like one point you might really be, um, struggle, like going through suffering or something like that, or, you know, I guess it's very applicable now. And you really see, wow, like God is so sovereign over this and I can trust him, like his trustworthiness or other times it might be like, you see, just like all the amazing passages about Jesus being your good shepherd and um, God being our shepherd and that kind of loving care for a sheep. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Like you're not saying, yeah, you're not obviously, Cecilia's not saying like God is different to every person because that's not true. No, he's right. universally he has the different same. attributes and different times. You kind of get to see more of his character. And I think that's really amazing. 
So, yeah, that makes sense to me. Sorry for the tangent. Um, let's jump into the New Testament. Um, and, like, you know, we've been saying this over and over. Like, typically, when people think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, they think about the Old Testament as God the judge and the New Testament as, like, God the loving, kind God. Even though he, but he's the same God, and there's characteristics of both all throughout the Bible. Uh, but I think for some people, it's easier to see God as loving and kind through um, Jesus because he was so kind and he was so gentle. Um, while he is coming back for sure to judge the world, um, it's very obvious to see God's kindness and loving nature through Jesus. Because um, he did so many miracles and he did so many healings. And just reading through the Gospels, you can see God's love and care for his people, not just in how he physically took care of people, but how he spiritually took care of all of us in the death and resurrection by providing yeah. us salvation. Um, so we have several different examples of miracles and stuff from the New Testament. One of them is John 8. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's a story about the woman who was caught in adultery. Um, like she was caught in the act. They found her with a man um, and everyone in the town wanted to stone her to death, um, which correct me if I'm wrong. That was the law of that time, right? Like if a woman was caught in adultery, she was stoned to death. Yeah, that would be like their like law, um, like the Torah in the Old Testament, like the law of Moses that. It, that was commanded to do. So you are correct. Okay. wanted to make sure I was correct and didn't just say that and move on. No, you're... Um, but Jesus steps in and, you know, Jesus came to fulfill the Old mm -hmm. Testament law. Didn't come to right. abolish it, but mm -hmm. to fulfill it. And so he adds this new perspective in there of what it means to be kind and what it means to judge and he tells them, those of you who have no sin can cast mm -hmm. the first stone. And they all quickly realized that they were sinful people and mm -hmm. dropped their stones and went home. Um, and what's really crazy is that Jesus, who is fully God, and he is the righteous judge, he is the only one who could have cast the stone and judged this woman. Mm -hmm. He was perfectly right to do so. But instead, in his kindness, he didn't judge her, but instead offered her salvation mm -hmm. through yeah. his kindness. Which is so crazy to see that other aspect of God, because he is this holy and righteous judge. But he loves people so much, and he's so kind towards us in our sin, and gives us a way of repentance. Mm -hmm. Uh, the other example we have here about Christ's kindness is Mark 5, which is a very, very interesting story. Um, it's one that I absolutely love. So Jesus uh, is in a town, and this guy comes up to him, and his daughter is dying. And he asks Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. And then on the way there, there is a woman with a blood disease. Um, she's been bleeding for like 13 years, 12 years straight. Like that's a long time. Um, and she comes into a crowd and she touches Jesus's robe and she's healed. And Jesus is, uh, Jesus is, but <laughs> Jesus stops, turns around and says, who touched me? And interacts with the woman in the time that he's talking with her, the, father's daughter dies and a servant comes to tell the father don't bother the teacher anymore your daughter's dead the father's devastated jesus says hey don't give up trust me and they go to the father's house he raises the daughter from the dead so it's a super intricate story we could go in so much detail even you could yes. hear an entire sermon on this thing um but it's so interesting how like, it just puzzle pieced together mm. so well that 
these two stories overlapped in such an intricate way that the maximum amount of healing, both physic both physically and spiritually, happened, and the maximum amount of Ooh, glory yes. was given to God. It's so cool because this woman had been struggling mm -hmm. with this for a long time. And she was unclean by society for this whole time. She had so many different needs. Because of this physical um, disability, she was um, unhealthy financially. She was unhealthy socially because she was cast out of society. Um, and she was unhealthy mentally, I'm sure, with just struggling with this and all of the implications. Like, that's got to take a toll on your emotional and mental health to be a social outcast with such mm -hmm. a crazy disease for so long. And she was spiritually unwell yeah. because she didn't have salvation. And so Jesus takes the time to interact with her to heal all of those. Where she touched his robe, she was healed physically. That part was good. But Jesus, in his absolute kindness, turns around and engages with this woman to heal her spiritually. And it's so amazing to think that, you know, he was on his way to do this other healing. He could have dismissed her and kept going. But he stopped to take care of all of her other needs, too. And it shows that, you know, God's first goal is our spiritual well-being. But it also shows that he so kind and he cares for the other aspects of our well-being mm. as well yeah that's good um but it wasn't that jesus just like threw away his plan and let the daughter die for the sake of this woman mm. like this was all part of the plan because the man had faith enough to think jesus could raise or heal his daughter but he didn't have enough faith to think jesus could mm. raise his daughter from the dead so Jesus not only took care of this situation, but he really worked on spiritual like health and maturity in this man and his family because he showed the full extent of the glory of God. That Jesus doesn't just heal physical problems. He raises people from the dead. Like mm -hmm. this is resurrection power. And so God in his kindness took a very simple matter of healing someone, turned it into a resurrection story and, you know, this full all around healing and spiritual maturity and growth. And it gave so much more glory to God and the fact that he did all of this and it all puzzle pieced together so well, like, it's just a fantastic yes. story. Oh um, I love that story. Oh I just wanted to read y'all one verse that really stuck out to me when Cecilia was describing the story, which I would highly recommend. I highly recommend y'all to read all these scriptures we bring up. But this is the only one. Um, it's Mark 5, like Cecilia was saying, and it's verses 21 through 43. Read it. It's amazing. But I love how after Jesus heals um, the woman who has the blood issue, who has the discharge of blood, he's, this is what he says to her. He says, daughter, and I just love that too. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So it's like Celia was saying, it's both he heals her physically and spiritually. And now she's a daughter of God and in his family. And that's what he calls her. And he turns around and looks at her, engages with her, um, I just think it's so beautiful. And then the, and it's just also interesting to read about how, like how she was an outcast. She was um, technically ceremonially, un, ceremonially unclean just because of her disease. So that's why she was separated from people so that they wouldn't be in contact with that. And so this is what my study note says in my Bible was she was not um, permitted to enter the temple section reserved for women. She also um, couldn't be couldn't go in public without making people aware of her condition. But Jesus turns around with her, makes her clean um, by his power. Actually, she's clean right at the moment of just touching his garment. And he like, that's amazing. That's so much power. 
Jesus has, and all this woman does is touch his garment, and she's healed immediately. Incredible. And her, the fact that she was, so Jesus was in the middle of a crowd, and she goes through all of these people. She's bumping into people, making them ceremonially unclean because she's touched them which is a big no-no. And then she touches a rabbi, which is an even bigger no-no because mm-hmm. now the rabbi is unclean. Like she was breaking all the rules just so she could get close to Jesus. Like the amount of faith and boldness and confidence that she had. Like the amount of, she went through all of these risks because she was so confident mm-hmm. that he could heal her. And he did. Yeah. I was listening to a sermon on this the other day. This is a funny tangent, but the line when Jesus says, who touched me when she touches his uh, garment, the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? And it's really funny because it shows the, how close the disciples are with Jesus at this point, because they're almost sassy with their answer. They're like, what do you mean who touched you? We're in a crowd We're everyone's touching everyone. (laughs) it's just really funny to see the their tone and how Mm -hmm. friendly they are with Jesus um and it's also just funny to think about you know them giving a kind of sarcastic answer but I mean in a way that does also point towards God's kindness that he took the time to build this Mm -hmm. familiar relationship with these people yeah but that was just funny I'll never forget the way the pastor described that their response. and that just made me think of i didn't even put this in here but like christ's kindness towards the people that he chose to be his disciples i mean you couldn't pick a group of people who are like so radically different oh, from yeah. each other yet he chooses tax collectors which the jewish people would have hate so like government workers um just lowly fishermen um just all these these different type of people but that's who he chooses to be his 12. And also some. Yeah. He was very yeah. patient with them too. Yeah. They just, they didn't get it sometimes. Like it was sometimes when I read the new Testament stories and I'm like, how did you not get this? This is very clear, but we also have the whole Bible to see. Mm-hmm. They just had this, you know, the Torah and then this yeah. encounter. They had a shadow they get the full story. of the things to come the Hebrew says, but yeah, and also you could really hit on, hit on, I say that phrase a lot, but you could <laughs> hit on Christ's <laughs> kindness towards Judas, even. This guy he knew was going to betray him, yet he still chooses to be in his inner, well, not his inner circle, but in his disciples, and he breaks bread with him and washes his feet the night he's going to go be betrayed by him. Yeah, and that's crazy to think about because it's this interesting dynamic between him being fully God and fully man. Like he was fully mm-hmm. aware of this person. Um, and I'd imagine there was probably a temptation to not treat him yeah. as kindly from the yeah. human side. Like there was probably a bit of a struggle like of course Jesus never sinned so he never gave in to any sinful thoughts or actions but that like imagine like spending time with someone that you Mm -hmm. knew was going to betray you and building a relationship Mm -hmm. with someone you knew was going to betray you like that would be such interesting emotions but the fact that Jesus still treated him mm-hmm. with kindness and never sinned mm-hmm. it's crazy to think yeah. about it is crazy to think about i that's something i always think not just on easter but like especially during this season like think about how um jesus's actions towards judas this is it's crazy like that's our that's our savior that's who he is. He's kind. Everybody, including mm-hmm. his enemies, people are going to betray him. And I mean, you don't have to look any further than 
um, the cross to see that, to see him praying for the people that are killing him, which is, yeah, like the ultimate act of kindness and sacrifice and mercy and all of that right there. So. Yeah. I think it's important to keep kindness in mind, especially in this time. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's been a lot harder to be patient and kind with people when we've all got cabin fever and we're so tired of sitting in the house. <laughs> um, I mean, especially living with siblings, like my brothers and I were getting a little snippy with each other because we're all living in the same house. And you know, siblings get tired of being around each other. Um, and even with like, you know, just being kind to other people when we're all stressed out, being kind to the people that are not doing what they're supposed to, or like I've been seeing a lot of people get angry very quickly at people who are doing um, not intelligent things during this time. Um, and while there's a place for righteous anger and discipline, I don't think, I don't know, I feel like we're yeah. all struggling with kindness right now. And then we've got this election coming up in November. Um, and uh, in politics, it can get a little messy and it's a lot harder to be kind. And I'd say one of our greatest weapons against the enemy and greatest um one of the greatest ways we can show the love of christ is to be kind and loving towards people especially people who don't deserve it like showing even a fraction of the compassion and mercy that god shows towards us is a mm -hmm. huge testament towards the gospel um and all of these fruits of the spirit showing these and demonstrating these like really point towards Christ and in times of suffering and chaos like we're in right now it's really hard to maintain these as we're dealing with our own issues um, but I think it's important to remember that even though it's a frustrating time we still yeah that's really kind. good and very convicting for me as well because I know I really have been struggling with kindness and patience um, the past few weeks and I think for me I know partly it's because I can be very selfish and be very self-centered in myself and instead of kind of thinking of the other person and thinking of what they think and how they're feeling I just think of myself um, and kind of maybe I don't know maybe it's easy for me to be self-centered when I'm just sitting around doing homework or whatever during the day I'm not really focused on serving other people so that's definitely something that I need to work on and pray about as well to kill my selfishness and my sin. And I think, yeah, and that is one of the best ways to show Christ's love towards people is to be kind to everyone, including our enemies and people we disagree with, which I think can be hard to do because, I mean, I can get on Twitter and get very annoyed <laughs> when I see people say things and post things and just yeah I love politics I think it's great it's good to be involved and know what is going on and to vote for people that are going to uphold godly values and principles but I know if I spend too much time just consuming all of that media um I'm not really that kind or patient and not really exhibiting Christ character to other people as much as I should be so yeah it's really hard to be kind to people when they're not also showing yeah the fruits of the spirit it's really easy to get frustrated and angry with people that are not being christ-like um, but there's a time for good just discipline and then there's a right. time and for forgiveness and kindness 
And it just takes the Holy Spirit to mm-hmm. find that Yeah, it really takes relying on the Spirit's guidance and praying every day um, for his guidance and listening to the Spirit and not reacting out of your own emotions and feelings, which is easier said than done. I'm, I say that as someone who has to practice this every oh, day. Yeah. So I know what it's like. Um, but yeah, I not let that blind me from um, having Christ-like character. So, Yeah, and this is all a work in progress yeah. through sanctification and, and growing closer to God and growing in spiritual maturity. Like, there's going to be aspects mm-hmm. of this we all struggle with. Yeah, and that's... Um, the beauty of the Christian faith is that we don't have to um, be perfect and have all this figured out before we come to God, that he is the one that makes us perfect and sanctifies us throughout our whole life until we get to enjoy eternity with Christ where we're glorified. Um, So that's the beauty of Christianity. But yeah, we that it's really important to dive deep into the fruits of the spirit and these character traits and how we should be exemplifying them. But you never want to lose focus that we can't do this without God. Like, I mean, personally, part of my story is I grew up always trying to be very kind, trying to follow the rules, be a good person, um, whatnot. I was just very rules focused. I wanted to be perfect and good and kind and patient, all these things all the time, but I could never do it. I could never do it. I'd always come to some point where I'd be like, oh my gosh, why didn't do this? And I didn't measure up in this way because I was trying to follow this, um, this like standard of perfection that I could never hit myself. And it took, I, because I, I never fully understood the gospel that I couldn't hit that standard of perfection. Christ was that perfection for me. And when I obey him and follow him, he gives me the power to do these things. I was always relying on myself and it never works. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work to rely on yourself solely to do this. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit and rely on the work of Jesus Christ inside of you. And for you, his work on the cross for you. So, yeah, it's important. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good way to close it off. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what we wanted to end with was how we are sanctified. And saying, yeah, if we didn't explain what that means. Sanctification is um, just... You can think of it as you're being made holy and you're being made to look more like Christ as you grow in following him and in being a Christian. Um, Yeah, and if there, and these are some passages y'all can look up that are very practical with how to be kind um, and how to exhibit this character. So Matthew 5, verses 38 through 48. Romans 12, verses 14 through 21. And then my favorite, Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. And then Colossians 3, 12 through 15. And 1 John 3, 11 through 18. So all these are great, um, great verses. But I guess I'll just end with reading Ephesians 4 because, not the whole chapter, but there's a specific, I I really can't speak specific, specific verse because I really love it. And it's something that I have definitely been trying to work on and pray about and be more um, sanctified in because I've realized again, the past few weeks and months that I'm not always the most kind towards other people. So I actually put this verse on the mirror in my uh, bathroom because I really needed this reminder. So it's Ephesians 4 verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So that's been my verse the past few. Uh, past season, I guess you could say. To be kind. 
So that's a good one. That's what I guess we'll leave y'all with. Can't wait to talk more about the next Fruits of the Spirit and dive into them. But hope this was an encouragement to you guys and seeing God's kindness and Jesus Christ's kindness throughout scripture. Um, And yeah, we're praying for you guys and yeah, keep pursuing the Lord and take this time, you know, if you're still in quarantine and all that to pray and spend more time with him and serve other people. Um, Yeah. Do you got anything else to add, Cecilia? Okay, well, awesome. I think that's it.